Join author and former Vibe Editor-in-Chief Danielle Smith and Black Girl Songbook as she celebrates and uplifts the talent of Black women in the music industry. Tune in for in-depth discussions with your favorite songwriters, producers, and artists, as well as anecdotes from Danielle. Plus, you'll hear the songs of Black women who changed the landscape of American music forever. Check out Black Girl Songbook exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. David! 50-year-old Phil Mickelson became the oldest golfer to win a major championship over the weekend. What I want to know is what the old guy still got it news story could possibly be bigger than that. <laughs> Wait, d- bigger than Phil Nich- Mickelson winning? I mean, I, listen, he is the ultimate old guy still got it in so many ways. Although as like, as a non-golf fan, I'll admit. I mean, I pay attention during the majors when they're, you know, on a big screen in a restaurant. Um, I know he's an old guy, but I don't think, but I was kind of, that I'd, you know, heard a bunch of young players' names on on fairway rolling and stuff to the point that I realized that, like, his, you know, there, there was a whole new generation, but I wasn't, like, utterly shocked that he was in contention when I turned on the TV. But well, as the he, Washington, the Washington Post, Matt Visor points out, Phil Mickelson wins a major, Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl and Joe Biden wins the presidency. Oh yeah, okay. This is kind of an old guy still got it couple of months. So right. so where where does this story possibly go from here? Um well we could just keep rolling with it. I mean, I don't know it's do they have to come in threes. We can move like what would be Look, summer 2022. Let's say LeBron wins an NBA championship. At that point, he's got to be considered an old guy who still got it, right? Sure. Indiana Jones 5 comes out. <laughs> Harrison okay. Ford comes back for like round three of old guys still got it uh, credentials. What would, what we, I'm sure you can think of a third one. Harrison Ford is good in a movie would actually qualify at this point for the old guys still got it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, him, but him playing a role, the role is also the old guy who still got it, right? The, the role has still got it. I got two I really like. George Lucas unretires and makes a great Star Wars movie again. <laughs> okay. Ultimate old guy still got it. And and this is this is my this is my kicker. Hillary Clinton wins the presidency. Oh, yeah. The old gal still got it. Yes. That would we, that would just absolutely blow everybody's mind and I think be way with it maybe worth like 10 Mickelsons. It would shatter the old guy glass ceiling for sure. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, the Associated Press fired a reporter named Emily Wilder. For her tweets, why the hell did they do that? Plus, for the NBA playoffs, the ringer's John Gonzalez talks to David and me about the present and future of the NBA studio show. All that more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. 
Media Consumers, Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here along with Erica Cervantes. David, put on your fedora because we're going to grab our opening segment straight off the wires. Front page style. <laughs> Let's do it. Because the big news last week was the Associated Press firing a reporter named Emily Wilder. Emily Wilder is 22 years old. She went to Stanford. On May 3rd, she started a job at the AP's Phoenix Bureau. We will let Wilder pick up the story there in her own voice. Last Monday, the Stanford College Republicans launched a smear campaign against me, attempting to expose my already public history of activism for Palestinian human rights at Stanford University. I was transparent with my editors, and they reassured me I would not face punishment for my previous activism. She continues, less than 48 hours later, the AP fired me. The reason given was my supposed violations of the AP's social media policy sometime between my first day and Wednesday. In that interim, powerful conservatives like Senator Tom Cotton, Ben Shapiro, and Robert Spencer repeatedly lambasted me online. When I asked my managers which exact tweets were in violation of the policy or how, they refused to tell me. Emily Wilder would later tell the San Francisco Chronicle, there's no question I was just canceled. Oh, man. I was hoping we were going to be able to set aside cancel cultural hypocrisy till at least the end of the conversation. Can we do that? <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, this is a wild, no pun intended story. It's almost, I mean, listen, we're never going to get probably the, the AP side of this, at least the full disclosure of how the decision-making process went on. So we're only left with assumptions. In this case, the assumptions are fairly easy to draw, or conclusions are fairly easy to draw, though they're all assumed. Um, I would just, I, I would assume that the conversation went something like, "This new hire is becoming a pain in the ass. It's is it, it's you know, or this job title does not merit this amount of consternation on the part of me," says whoever the person in charge is. And so let's just cut bait. I mean, the craziest, I mean, that, that to me would make complete sense for a human being to do. But From it's the exact, AP's perspective. From the AP's perspective, but it's but it's the utterly wrong thing to do. I mean, it's the worst thing you could possibly do. The people that merit, the people that 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 seem like the least, I mean, that seem like the, the greatest imbalance between, you know, problems that they create and and significance of their role those are the people who you should be defending more than anyone else because they don't one have the power to defend themselves and two they are more emblematic of whatever standards you are claiming to uphold what, whatever journalistic integrity or purity that you claim to uphold then you're more powerful more famous staffers this is the incidence where you should really simply clearly and and definitively say no why would we hire why would we fire that person and if there's uh, a really good reason why, then you should be clear about that. Amen to all of that. Um, and a couple of notes on that front. I think I saw Matthew Zeitlin made the, make this point on Twitter. A lot of people made this point. Emily Wilder was working in Phoenix covering local news. Mm -hmm. She was not a reporter in the Middle East. So this idea that somehow something she did or a club she joined or an organization she joined in college would rule out covering news in Phoenix is just crazy. It is absolutely crazy. I don't get that at all. I don't get that at all. Second, if you read her comments after that, after all this happened, 
she seems like she would have happily, you know, sort of gone whichever direction they wanted her to go on social media or at least listen to them. Mm -hmm. You know, if they were like, hey, this issue is very charged. Can you just tweet AP stuff? I don't know what they would have said. It doesn't sound like she was opposed to that idea or at least hearing them out on that. Sure. This is she worked at the Arizona Republic before this, which is not exactly like working at Defector. Yeah. And it doesn't somehow this was not like, hey, let's can we sit down here and talk about social media just for a second? Because this is the AP or whatever. It was you've lost your job. Mm -hmm. That just seems like a ridiculous reaction. And that's and that's why you, you, you have to assume it was just a reaction, an overreaction, a ridiculous reaction, whatever, you know, you want to call it. I mean. I said I didn't want to talk about cancel culture, but there is an incredible irony in the fact that conservatives, and I don't even feel bad about painting with a broad brush because this is, this feels like it's come out of the mouth of every conservative politician and certainly every conservative talking head. But the, but the idea that you should be punished for having a different point of view on during your college years is a, is a constant source of disgruntlement for conservatives. You know, I mean, the, the idea that, People are being that, that conservative voices are being shushed or quieted or ignored or canceled on college campuses. Is is they complain about it all the time, and now we're just like targeting someone specifically for the point of view they had for, for political points of view they had in college. I mean, whether or not they still have them, we're pointing to things that happened when she was a college student. I mean, it. I'm sure everybody, every sober-minded person, has said. At some point in their life, if you know my employers had a had a complete detailing of what my college life was like, I'd probably be fired too. But like it, but this is a case where this is explicitly something you shouldn't be fired over. It, listen, I don't think that most people in college, or, you know, have a political opinions that will stick with them for the rest of their lives. I think more often than not, people do complete one eighties from where they are in college. But that's sort of beside the point. Having a political conviction to this degree during your college years is evidence that you will probably be good at doing this job, right? Caring about any like serious subject to this degree should be taken as a positive thing. And the idea that, that you could even be, they could be like completely wrong about something. I mean, certainly there are opinions that I think are beyond the pale. I don't even know if we need to get into them, but I think in most cases, those opinions would exhibit a, a weakness or closure of your mental ability and not <laughs> and not a, a, like a source of it i mean not a signal of like deeper interest in in current affairs and in human rights you know i mean this is a real to take her at her word even at the time this just seems like again like the least problematic thing i could imagine wilder made the exact same point you just made she says the compassion that drove my activism is part of what led me to be a reporter committed to just critical fact-based coverage of undertold stories. Uh, you want people like me mm -hmm. because I had enough interest in college to get involved in these things, to think about things, to, to, you know, do this. And so that, that is just, I, that, that whole point to me is exactly what you're saying. Can you, can you imagine living your life in college, like an AP reporter? Those were the restraints put on your life. Are you serious? <laughs> like this, like this idea. And the AP is close, is as close as any journalistic outlet to requiring. And here is a word from our SAT prep. You might remember a sort of monastic outlook. Mm -hmm. You sacrifice a lot of literary style. 
You sacrifice viewpoint. Sometimes you even sacrifice your name at the top of the article. Yeah. How many times do you read an AP story in the paper that says from wire reports? Mm -hmm. And they don't even tell you who put the words in the article. (laughs) But in a way, if if we can have the bad faith right wing troll campaign part of this conversation here, that's what makes the AP so vulnerable. Vulnerable, does it not? Mm-hmm. All every time this happens, they are going to the news outlets neutrality. Aha, aha. You say you're neutral, but look what happened. Look what this person tweeted when they were 19 years old. Uh oh, doesn't do it. And the AP being the most, you know, taking that idea the most seriously to me makes them the most vulnerable in theory anyway, to these kind of campaigns. Yeah, I mean, and there's and there places a wire service. I mean, not for nothing, but those wire service bylines or associated press bylines that you see from time to time are, are more prevalent in, I mean, and this is not based in fact, but in my experience, much more prevalent in, in uh, small town newspapers and conservative districts and in red states than they are in, you know, the big New York Times, uh, Eastern liberal journalistic outposts of the world um, because newspapers are shrinking, budgets are shrinking and, and jobs are disappearing. And a lot of those jobs are being replaced by Associated Press wire stories. And yep. so you would understand why the Associated Press would feel more um, frightened of a backlash from that side. Right. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably filling up a lot of papers that are that, you know, whose few remaining employees may be ideologically opposed to, um, or maybe more ideologically in line with the people who are trying to get Wilder canceled um, than than Wilder college persona, but it's it's just really it's just really sad. I mean, what they're selling is impartiality. What they're selling is should be the, the idea that you can rise above. You know that that journalism sort of transcends those sorts of political beliefs when it's done correctly and and. The fact that they caved so quickly, I think, made exactly the opposite point. I get what you're saying theoretically about small newspapers. Yeah. I really think the odds of any of those canceling their AP subscription because of Emily Wilder was pretty much nil. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I don't have any evidence that like there's a Blaze wire service or something like that that's like <laughs> trying to sneak in and grab all these spots. Can we get but, the UPI? Is that still around? Yeah. <laughs> we get another wire service is right down the middle. It's still a crossword puzzle answer a whole lot, so I would assume so. Um, it's a, uh, but no, no. I mean, you're right. No one's going to come in and take that spot. But if this is a, if this is a, this is a ridiculous and, and borderline reckless decision to fire her so quickly. Um, if it was made, as I presumed at the very beginning of the segment, out of just like a sort of pre-exhaustion, like I don't want to deal with this by somebody, mm-hmm. then you could imagine them saying, I don't want to deal with this when it comes to just offending, you know, their their subscribers too. So a couple of people make the point about the difference in the way Chris Cuomo's ethical transgressions were handled oh. and this non-ethical transgression was handled. Mm. Uh, Olivia Nuzzi also tweeted this. This is an interesting point. Nobody is served by news organizations promoting the myth that reporters are a special class of people who either don't have or are capable of totally suppressing feelings and thoughts about the world in which they live. It's dishonest and everyone knows it. To set the standard at objectivity rather than fairness denies the reality of what is to be what it is to be a person. It's silly and naive and insulting to news consumers. It greets mm-hmm. them with phoniness and encourages distrust. 
also thought Sarah Jones made a really good point in New York Magazine. She said essentially that the AP is actually showing by doing this that it's not impartial. Yeah, exactly. It can be persuaded, she writes, if only from the right. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting too, right? If, if you are taking down the line neutrality as your highest calling, then why are you letting these people tell you what to do? Mm -hmm. I think that's a totally fair point to bring up. Uh, I do too. And, and I think that, I mean, this isn't the same thing as perpetuating a myth, but even to have firing be on the table for instances like this, you know, I think, I think that is, that's got to set them back and it's going to set them back for every employee dispute, major or minor going forward for the next decade. Right. I mean, this, this should not, it shouldn't have even been a discussion. You could have been like, even, even if their reaction was, this is unforgivable. And so she will be punished behind the scenes or, you know, behind closed doors would be a lot different than just cutting her loose in a split second decision, right? I mean, just to, just to have someone losing their job be on the table, I think is is just an, a terrible precedent to set. Obviously, sometimes people are going to lose their jobs, but why this would even even a discussion in this case was just crazy. There was this uh, open letter signed by 100 plus AP staffers that you sent me. Mm -hmm. And I feel whenever this, whenever one of these things happen, everybody gropes around for, okay, what are the rules? If you're saying I broke the rules, then tell me what the rules are mm -hmm. and tell me how whatever I did on Twitter broke the rules. This letter says the move, quote, gives us no confidence that any one of us couldn't be next, sacrificed without explanation. It has left our colleagues, particularly emerging journalists, wondering how we treat our own, what culture we embrace and what values we truly espouse as a company. I totally get all that. And I would want to know, you know, what the rules are, too, so that if I break them, I am knowingly breaking them rather than accidentally breaking them or breaking mm -hmm. them after the fact. But man, so many of these just come down to just don't do the stupid thing, publication. Whatever the rule is or whatever, just just have some common sense, right? If you want to talk to her about social media, talk to her about social media. Yeah. Don't don't do the super dumb thing. We always talk about this with these things like the rule is don't be stupid. <laughs> the rule, mm -hmm. I understand we do, we need clear rules. Workers need clear rules. There's very union considerations and all this, all kinds of considerations, but also don't be dumb. Don't do yeah. the really dumb thing. Well, you could ask people to not do the dumb thing. Um, and that's, you know, I think that that would be asking a lot of certain organizations. You could also ask people to do the the, to not do the dumb thing when it comes to just PR. I mean, listen, they're making this decision based on the pressure that as it relates to of course, public relations or whatever. Of course. But to be so, talk about doing the dumb thing, to be so blinded as to think that there wouldn't be a backlash to the backlash in 2021. I mean, you could draw a direct parallel to the Israel-Palestine situation and, and, and the way that a lot of that's being covered differently now than it has been in years past. But just to not have the the, I mean, to be a newspaper of record, to be for this to be your, you know, your, for this to, for this to be your your job, and to not have a passing recognition for the fact that like you can't just give in to a handful of right wing trolls and that be the end of it. I mean, this that wasn't going to be the end of it. I mean, th this wasn't the easy way out. You made a decision based on this being yep. the easy way out, and it was just the absolute opposite of that. That's what's crazy. This was the hard way out. Now. You might ask, who is the executive editor of the Associated Press? Ah, it's Sally Busby, oh, who man. was just named executive editor of the Washington Post. Now, do you recall 
like nine press box episodes that were about the Washington Post and the social media posts of their reporters. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. John Schwartz of The Intercept tweets says, all reporters of the Washington Post and the Post Guild should ask the Post incoming editor, Sally Busby, to comment on how and why Emily Wilder was fired. That seems like a really, really good idea. Yeah. And potentially a really tough conversation. <laughs> all right, David, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. David, this news item from The Hill got a lot of attention. The CDC urges against kissing, snuggling poultry (laughs) in salmonella warning. No kissing or snuggling with your poultry. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, come on, just a peck. (laughs) That's funny. Thanks to Charles Pryor III. We would have also accepted Gonzo is punching the air right now. I didn't see the Muppet reboots. Is that the fact that Gonzo loved chickens? Was that, that wide, widely known enough to to work as an overworked Twitter joke? Uh, I'm assuming we would. I assume we would have had a segment on the conservative outrage over uh, over its absence. <laughs> Gonzo has been canceled. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from the world of baseball, David. Last week, the Tampa Bay Rays traded away their starting shortstop which clears a spot for Ray's top prospect, Wander Franco. Wander Franco. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write any variation of, wonder how long until this guy gets called up. <laughs> Thanks to Mark Feinstein. That was very overworked. And finally, David, an item from the website The Verge. Quoting mm-hmm. here, Google is opening its first physical retail store this summer in New York. There is going to be a Google physical store in New York City. Okay. It was an overworked Twitter joke to imagine what customers might possibly do in the physical Google store. Would you like to hear some of those ideas? Absolutely, yeah. Walking up to the cashier and shouting, Indian food near me. <laughs> Walking up to the cashier and asking how to write an eye-catching resume in 2021. <laughs> Walking up to the cashier and asking for Diana Ross's shoe size. (laughs) Who among us hasn't done that on Google? Walking up to the cashier and asking every celebrity's age. (laughs) I would also add, I would also add asking every journalist's age, because I sometimes (laughs) do that when I want to get mad at people. And I enjoyed this response. What is the Google store selling? My info? (laughs) Thanks to Fartanian. If you went to the Google store and asked how to pronounce Ivica Zubots. Congrats, you made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. I'm Did you just credit Fartanian? Fartanian. That's, that's, that's a great one. I All believe right. this is not the first uh, first submission from Fartanian. Or emission? Go on. <laughs> Thanks to Fartanian for your loyal listenership of the Press Box Pod. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes... You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. 
There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time and the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. All right, David, in the notebook dump, the NBA playoffs started for real over the weekend. People might have caught some games and they might have caught the studio shows that are shown before, during and after the games. What they might not have realized is that there is a certain state of flux that NBA studio shows are in right now. Our guy, John Gonzalez, wrote an awesome piece in The Ringer about this, and he's here to explain the state of the NBA studio show, Gons. Welcome to the Press Box. Gentlemen, wonderful to be here. Delightful to see your smiling faces. <laughs> All right. There is some friction, you write, at this moment on NBA studio shows, particularly on TNT. What is it? Yeah, I think it's an interesting moment for, for NBA studio shows in, in general, and then specifically for TNT, because for years we've had the same group, right? We've had Ernie and Kenny and Charles and Shaq, Shaq being on the show for the last 10 years is somehow still the young guy on, of that group. He's 49 years old now, and he qualifies as the youngster. And I think for some people, uh, you know, maybe some ringer readers certainly who uh, like analytics or, or like to follow the way that basketball has evolved, watching that show uh, sort of runs counter to everything we know about the modern NBA because for all of their, um, you know, their long-term greatness on that show inside the NBA, Shaq and Charles and Kenny will tell you straight away that they're not really the guys who are going to break down current NBA trends, ball movement, pick and rolls, uh, you know, shooting threes, things of that nature. It's much more an entertainment show. And I think uh, what they've done with the Tuesday show, which is somehow not called inside the NBA, but as a, a much longer and unwieldy name uh, by bringing in Candace Parker and Dwayne Wade, uh, it's sort of... Um, this new movement, this new era, it's sort of a pivot point in what they want to do with the program going forward. And Shaq is also on the Tuesday show. And tell us before we dive into this, some of the gaffes that have happened uh, with him <laughs> and Candace Parker. Well, I mean, forget about even just him and Candace Parker. There's been a lot of those and I'm happy to get into those. But did you guys see just this literally during the Sixers Wizards game uh, over the weekend, Shaq, of all people, was busting Charles's balls because Charles fell asleep. And so, like, that's kind of their bit, right? They, they talk about how unengaged they are uh, and how they don't watch the games. That's by design. You know, when they're watching highlights, they're watching them in real time for the first time. And part of that is, like, uh, a, you know, a genius to their madness. But also part of it is just they're these superstar Hall of Famers who feel like, you know, they've been there and done that and don't really need to go the extra mile which uh, is in stark contrast to when you mentioned somebody like Candace Parker, who's obviously extremely studied and an extremely um, smart and current person about like where today's basketball is. And, you know, if you watch that show, even for 
for half a second, you're going to get a Candace Parker dissertation on modern NBA basketball that often flummoxes Shaq. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of what's most intriguing about Shaq's being on both shows, right? Is that when he when he signed up with Inside to begin with, uh, I don't. It felt like he was sort of of a piece with the old, you know, Chuck and Kenny studio show, right? Just that sort of that mm. level of engagement. I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak too broadly. I don't watch it every night in and night out. Um, and he, and he occupies maybe he occupies sort of a different role, even though he's in the same chair on the other show, right? I mean, is he, is he more? It's, does he leans into the sort of inherent silliness of his presence, right? Yeah, that is what I found so interesting in the course of reporting this piece. I, I anticipated because if you go to TNT and you say, "Hey, you know," I, I, quite obviously, this Tuesday show is meant. Uh, you know, as a new guard program, you're going to push the studio show forward. But you have Shaq on it, and Shaq is quite routinely dunked on by Candace Parker, and to a lesser extent, Dwayne Wade, but sometimes Dwayne Wade as well. I expected them to be, like, um, very guarded about it, to be very protective of Shaq. And in fact, it was the opposite. It was, no, no, we're going to put Shaq uh, on the tee and, and feel free to take your wax at him, because we do too, and that's all by design. And I think, like, Shaq is sort of a really unique bridge in that way, because you're right. Uh, like on the regular Thursday show, he's of a piece. He's, they're all sort of the same. They're all sort of clowning on each other and having a good time. On the Tuesday show with Candace and Dwayne, where they're much more serious and much more analytical and thoughtful about basketball, he still serves that role, but he's the only one doing it as opposed to everybody doing it. And somehow it works better that way because you do sort of need that comedic relief when you have other people who are analyzing the game in a much more sober way. I think you're absolutely right. And I think whenever people post the videos of Shaq getting dunked on by Candace Parker, they actually do miss that very important point. We've now had years of studio shows on ESPN that are about smart, young, current people using analytics to explain and how much they love basketball. That doesn't exactly work all the time, right? Yeah. Sometimes that's really boring. But if you have youngish, analytically minded people going against determinedly not watching basketball old guy. That's the show. That's not a bug of the show. That's the show. Yeah. And do the, the producers realize this, right? They, if, if people on NBA Twitter don't, they know that that is why people are tuning in. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, this is something that, again, I anticipated there'd be some pushback or some defensiveness or they try to spin it. And it was quite the opposite. <laughs> Turner is well aware of the role that Shaq plays on that show and by the way, so is Shaq. Like when I talked to Shaq about this, I mean, it took me forever to get Shaq on the phone because he's Shaq, right? Like it, it was like, you know, Shaq will call you when Shaq gets around to it. And he called me during a game that he was supposed to be watching and like completely blew off. But we were, as we were talking about it and I said, you know, like Candace really put you on skates a number of times. I mean, when she's explaining to you why they shouldn't lower the rim in the WNBA or, uh, why post-ups don't work as opposed to, you know, ball movement and, and shooting threes in today's NBA. And he just sort of laughed it off and said, yeah, I'm cool with that. I mean, Candace is amazing. Uh, she makes fun of me all the time and it makes the show work. And yeah, far from, um, you know, avoiding it, they all to a person lean into it. I was, for some reason I was struck watching the jazz grizzlies game last night and the the studio show and the announce team kept using the the old rust versus rest adage to uh to to you know talk about who was more prepared for the game and there's not a straight parallel to the two to the studio shows at all but i kept i kept thinking about 
the way that there's these two different philosophies, I guess, that the two shows embody, whether it's like, you know, content versus comfort or something like that. But there is like old stu- old sportscasters always devolve or evolve into a place of where comfort, familiarity is the most important thing that they provide for us, right? I mean, old old football announcers don't even need to say words. They just need to like have the tone of their voice broadcast over the games. And it's interesting that one, that the Thursday show has leaned into that, that like you said, they're self-aware. They know what they're there to provide, right? But the the decision to have a Tuesday show that is different makes all the sense in the world as you describe in the piece, but it's also kind of surprising. Most shows, most networks stick with, you know, what they're good at. And, and I guess this all, I guess what I want to know is, is as well as they, I mean, they complement each other, but is there any in-house tension on the executive side? Do they see this as one eventually is going to displace the other or is, is are they, are they just pieces of, you know, the same puzzle? Yeah, I think there's a wink and a nod there, right? I mean, because we all, we're watching the show uh, or shows. And so you're right, we've seen the established group forever. We all know what it is. It's very much entertainment-based. They make no uh, bones about that. They don't pretend that you're going to get, you know, a super information dump from these guys, especially when they're admitting that they fell asleep during a game. (laughs) Uh, And yet, uh, the Tuesday show quite obviously signals, you know, a different path eventually. I mean, it's happening in real time as we're watching it. Uh, but eventually, and, you know, Kenny and uh, Charles and Shaq, uh, those guys will be there in that capacity as long as they want to be. But we can see with the Tuesday show that they're signaling a shift, that eventually that they'll be, you know, there's always going to be someone in that Shaq seat. If it's not Shaq, it'll be somebody else who you could have a good time with. But, you know, they're trying to, I think, move it forward. And the interesting thing is they're doing this in real time. They're sort of experimenting on the fly because they don't really have any real competition, right? I mean, the jump exists and the jump is excellent, but the jump is in, you know, a, a proper studio show, pre and post game, halftime, that, that component. The ESPN pre, post, halftime show is sort of a non-entity now. So TNT has this ability in this space where they can just tinker with this format. And at least this year in this first round, because technically the Tuesday show launched last year, but because of COVID, uh, it was fits and starts and it didn't really get much attention. This year, uh, I thought it was a fantastic compliment to Thursday. And eventually mm-hmm. you could very much see it becoming, you know, if not the competition, the replacement for. One thing you get at in your piece, Gons, is who is sports television for in 2021? Mm-hmm. You know, I think all three of us, and because we're, we're all kind of old, have lived <laughs> through this era where sports TV is not produced for people that even know what the low post is you know sports tv is produced on the level of mass entertainment for like at like the level of alf or you know cheers or something like that they just want everybody to watch they don't want to offend anybody you know they don't want they don't want anybody to watch and go i don't know what that analytic means i have no idea because i'm out of here they want it to be incredibly broad do you see as you consume basketball on studio shows or broadcasts any sort of analytics, sort of a nod toward the younger generation that's on NBA Twitter creeping in? Yeah, I think that's a little bit of what they're trying to. I mean, Candace very, very much fills that role on a Tuesday when she's, you know, really breaking down the nuances of basketball. And that's something I enjoy as a basketball fan. But the more I reported the piece and the more I thought about it, uh, because initially it was born from just her, you know, schooling Shaq on a, on a pretty regular basis and Shaq being happy to get schooled. Uh, but he was happy to get schooled in the service of the entertainment that you're talking about, Brian. 
And the more I thought about it, like there's a zillion places where all of us go to get the, you know, the smart take on basketball, the nerd take on basketball. I recommend for everybody listening to ringer.com. We've got some really good ones. But when you're watching that show, do I really need that breakdown or, or am I enjoying the show because of the interplay between Shaq and Kenny and Charles and, and Ernie, right? I mean, they're, they're all having a good time. They're all entertaining. They realize that it's a TV show. And ultimately, how much information can they download to all of us in, what, five minutes at halftime? You mentioned that you know this is the first season that the Tuesday show has really gotten the exposure uh, of you know of a of a big time you know pre post game show. Um, certainly, the playoffs are an even greater amount of exposure, right? I mean, I I can speak for myself in saying that like not only am I watching almost every minute of every you know TNT studio show, but even for those of us that do pay more attention to analytics and stuff, you do you you lean on those shows for sort of conversational guidance. You know, this is what people are going to be talking about the next day. It's very it's old fashioned, but like they, even if you disagree with them, kind of identify the big topics of conversation. Have you gotten a sense at all just from Twitter or from talking to people about how they're being received? Uh, in you know, in, in, now that basketball is really important. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think you're right that like we all pay more attention when the playoffs uh, arrive, especially because, and this was something that I touched on in the piece as well. I, I think what the Thursday show is really excellent at, and you just touched on it there, David, um, the storylines, what you're going to be talking about, they're always good at that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what they've made an entire career on. Uh, and then, you know, when you're in the middle of the season or towards the end of the season, when you know, it's game 65, 67 in a normal 82 game season. And we pretty much know where the playoffs are going to be slotted and which teams are going to be where. And you're just kind of like riding out injury news and everybody's bored as hell and waiting for the postseason to come along. In those dog days, the Thursday show shines because then you just do need somebody to get you through Wizards Clippers. <laughs> totally. Can we spend another moment on on Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley and the kind of archetype of the former player who is just post criticism? Like yeah. they, they're going to get dragged on Twitter every couple of days, and it just doesn't matter. Who who else is in this category? Like Terry Bradshaw, I think in the NFL has probably reached this Nirvana <laughs> stage. It's a select group, and you're 100 percent right. I mean, you know, uh, the other day when when LeBron gets outed for going to a party and Everybody goes, oh, the NBA, the NBA isn't going to do anything here. They're not going to find him. They're not going to suspend him, even though any other player that would happen to. What happens? Charles Barkley goes out and says exactly what everybody is thinking and says the NBA doesn't have the balls to suspend <laughs> him. And, and somehow, like for the last, what, 20 years that Charles has been doing this, they just routinely keep themselves relevant by uh, like saying these sort of zeitgeisty on the nose things that also run really close to the line of, is this permissible and continually like uncancelable. We talk about cancel culture all the time. Those guys will be here as long as they want to be. Well, I mean, speaking of keeping themselves relevant, um, I think most listeners of the show will probably remember Shaq calling out Donovan Mitchell um, mm. post game, not that long ago and saying he didn't think what he had, what it takes to, uh, to, to to be a you know superstar, um, it's I you know, I think everybody sort of had the same reaction, which is like I don't think this is out of bounds. It's certainly not from you know Shaquille O'Neal, but it just the tone and the delivery and the timing just made it seem just like in in really bad taste. Like it just seemed like the sort of thing that or or I mean, part of it's just shocking. You wouldn't expect Shaq to have done it in that moment. 
Um, but what what do you think the goal was there? Again, I think what they're really good at, you know, and this is of a piece with what we've discussed about them just being good entertainers. And I mentioned this in the story as well on the th- on the Tuesday show. What Shaq is good at, and I think he gets it, you know, obviously from the Thursday group, is putting the quarter in, winding everybody up, you know, and letting them go. And that's what that is. Like when he's doing now, sometimes he does it intentionally. I I anticipate that the Donovan Mitchell one was unintentional. But those guys on Thursday are all good at it. I mean, you can go back to uh, you know when they derided the Warriors as nothing but a jump shooting team, even after they had won a championship. <laughs> or had the temerity, Shaq of all people had the temerity to uh, decry star stacking when he had played for the Lakers. I mean, <laughs> these are things that we all laugh about, right? Where they're being sort of trolly. But what happens? I mean, they get the conversation going. We all end up talking about Shaq going, oh, Donovan Mitchell doesn't have what it takes to win after he won a game. I mean, it's just absurd, but also it drives the conversation. Yeah. And I think at another point you got to in the piece was, it's not scripted on TNT, yeah. which is kind of amazing for studio shows. I remember when the Daryl Morey Hong Kong thing went down. I just had, they happened to be doing an event out here. I was talking to Ernie Johnson. He's like, we didn't have a meeting before the show where we talked about what we were going to say. Now think about that. Yeah. <laughs> like a, a ringer podcast probably would have required a meeting. <laughs> like, okay, are we, where are we going here? Let's, uh, let's make sure we're saying what we want to say, but they don't have a script. No, it's wild. Um, I mean, every, TV show or radio show or podcast I've ever done has always had a script. I'm sure that you had an extensive one for this program. Uh, yeah, there's, well, <laughs> we're more in the inside the NBA, but that's just laziness out of anything. Anyway, go ahead, please. No, but the, it's, it's very unusual. I mean, for people who don't understand how uh, the broadcasting sausage gets made, every other studio show that you would talk to, you know, my wife is a host for NFL network. Her, her, her outline is extremely long. Bill Simmons, our boss, talked about this all the time when he was uh, doing the NBA show for ESPN, how it was like very studied and, and like pre-organized where it'd be like, you know, host opens up, toss to the next analyst who has 30 seconds, toss to the next analyst 30 seconds, and then commercial break. I mean, that's just how it usually goes. And with these guys, it's not that at all. It's, it's wide open. I'm going to come to you and you're going to say this. And then I'm going to come to you and you're going to make this point. That is all plotted out on a yeah. lot of studio shows before it starts. And then this case, no breaks, no, no seatbelts. Hyper scripted for everybody else for this one, seat of the pants too. And that, it was something that I was personally interested in because, you know, I, I like to know about media machinations, but I was very surprised because I was watching the show one night and I was like, man, it really sounds like they're seeing these highlights for the first time in real time. And I thought I would ask, and I thought again that they would obfuscate or spin, and they go, oh yeah, no, they don't watch the games or the highlights until they're on in front of them to get a a more organic reaction, which is very, very unusual. Yeah, I mean, it's also really brave, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean to, to, to go out there with that sort of lack of preparation. I think most shows over-prepare just to avoid any side, but basically to avoid the well, what makes that show work so well, right? To avoid the sort of humanity that comes across in their reactions. Um, is that you you're talking about, you know, media machinations? Is that, I mean, you, you report a lot of this in your piece, talking about how the shows, you know, the, the people were selected and came together and, and, and the, you talked to some of the Turner executives. But for the people listening, what was your, 
what's your impression about how they feel about the Tuesday show? I know they love the Tuesday show, but is it a source of pride that they were able to sort of stake out this different territory? Is it a, is it a, um, you know, how are they defining these, these, the, the, the Lefko and, and all the different other people in there in their minds? Like what's the, what's the, what's the feeling about the Tuesday show? I think officially uh, they'll tell you that, you know, they think it's a wonderful compliment to the Thursday show. Uh, they, everybody, nobody would, would say on the record, oh, of course, this is, you know, the heir apparent to the Thursday show. Um, but unofficially, it very much looks like they've hit on something, right? That eventually, uh, Ernie, and now, now who, know, who knows? I mean, Ernie is in his 60s. Uh, Kenny and, and Charles are in their mid to late 50s. They've, they've got plenty of time here. In a world where, you know, Marv Albert is still broadcasting, although, you know, Godspeed to Marv, he's leaving. Uh, and Hubie Brown, timeless, Hubie will be calling games for the rest of his life. Yes. Uh, who knows how much longer they could go? Probably for quite some time. But I do believe that they, if they, they don't think that they found a successor specific with this group. I think that they found uh, a model in that, oh, this is sort of a good mix to sort of update this studio show that has been so successful for them for the last 20 years. I mean, these are Hall of Fame broadcasters mm -hmm. uh, who have been minted many times over, right? And now what do you do? How do you up that? Well, this is a really interesting way to modernize it. And I think that they believe that they they found something interesting and, and new. Yeah. And there's potentially a scenario, right, where it's not like the Thursday cast is all going to necessarily walk out of the door on the same day. Right. You know, and you could see certain, you know, one person replace another person, replace another person, which is typically happens on studio shows. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, they could go in waves. Uh, certainly like Dwayne Wade is a guy that everybody was talking about. Oh, Dwayne could be on television if he wants to be. Uh, but I think the, the more interesting component here is like the rise of Candace Parker, who is just yeah. an absolute superstar. When, I mean, like, you know, Dwayne Wade is Dwayne Wade. And, and you see the guys when he talks to the current players get giddy, right? Because he's sort of, he's the guy, like when Dwayne was playing, he would get giddy about or angry about talking to Charles or Kenny or Shaq, because those were the guys that he looked up to when he played. Now you see the same thing with the younger players with Dwayne, but, but Candace is somebody who, you know, if you're watching the WNBA, you know, but to bring her into the NBA mix and just like, she's so smooth on camera. She's so bright. And also she can do the funny bit. She can do the, the put, uh, put Shaq on skates or dunk on Shaq. I mean, she's extremely versatile. And I think with Candace, they really hit on something that maybe people didn't expect. I guess to bring this thing full circle and I maybe take off your reporter hat here for a minute. We, we touched on this in the beginning, but like, what do you think, like, if you were building your own studio show, who, 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 who would you be drafting from these two? Like, what, what do you, or, or what kind of show would you build? What do you think that people are looking for right now? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, like, we've had 20 years of the Thursday show, and it's obviously very successful, and I'm mm -hmm. a fan of that show, but it definitely needed some updating. So if you're asking me, like, uh, who I who I like best of that group, I mean, the Thursday group is fantastic, but I'm, I'm a massive Candace Parker fan. I think she yeah. just has that mix of, hey, I understand the modern NBA. I can school you on that. I can also have a great, a great time and, and laugh. Uh, and also, I'm going to point out uh, the absurdities of things that that are said on camera by <laughs> professional bas former professional basketball players that like she acts and this is a point I tried to make in the piece she acts as our avatar right when I'm screaming at my television Shaq you don't know what the hell you're talking about before I was doing it alone now she's doing it for me so she's fantastic and I think Lefko because we haven't really talked about him either uh, he's very good in the same way that Ernie is very good 
in that he doesn't get in the way. He yep. moves the ball around and uh, he's throwing lobs all day long and letting them hammer him home. Pass first point guard. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if I'm going to draft David, I'm going to take the NBA, uh, the TNT Thursday show. I'm just going to, I'm just going to take it and I'm going <laughs> to high five all the way to the bank. Love, I love everybody on Tuesday. I wish them absolutely the best, but I'm just going to, we're going to, we're yeah. going to win. We're going <laughs> to win the ratings. We're going to win everything. By the way, we'll close here, Gons. Lefko, you were talking to him, and he was trying to think of the Rushmore of all-time sports studio shows. <laughs> he got three out of four. Yeah, He got Sports Center. He got Inside the NBA. He got College Game Day on ESPN. I can give him number four. Fox NFL Sunday. 20-plus yeah. years, largely the exact same cast. Let us say about the same amount of attention paid to modern football as inside the NBA is paying attention to modern basketball. <laughs> and same thing. High five and all the way to the bank, baby. <laughs> there we go. We did it. You know, we, yeah. we, what we, why would we change this? Yeah, it's the same model. And, you know, I think he might have even because he, he said, you know, in the course of the I'll come up with one later and, you know. I think he might've even brought that one up later, but it was just too funny for him to come up with a three man Mount Rushmore, but you're right. The NFL, uh, the Fox version, if there's a format when you, when you find a group with good chemistry, the rest of it, the particulars of whatever sport you're covering is almost incidental. Would you like to hang out with us and guess the strained pun headline as long as you're here? Oh, yes. absolutely. I'm yes. honored. Yes. Here we go. It's time for David Shoemaker and John Gonzalez. Guess the strain pun headline. Last Friday's headline about reviving a fading street in Sydney, Australia was Oxford coma, Oxford coma. <laughs> Today's headline comes from Will Holland. It's from the New York Times. I'll give you guys a little bit. The Times reports that five counties in eastern Oregon have voted to secede mm. from Oregon. And here's the kicker. These five counties want to become part of Idaho. Why? I don't know. They want to become part of Idaho. What was the New York Times' strained pun headline? Is it, is it my own, some of my own private Idaho? That's the yeah, only thing is my own private Idaho. Our own private Idaho, something yeah, like okay. that. Their own private Idaho, yes. That okay. is. All right. I'm, I'm sorry. First time on the show and we nailed it. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say, you guys are like the Thursday inside the NBA. <laughs> Got this thing on lockdown. John Gonzalez's story, the future of the NBA on TNT is on the ringer right now. You are going to need to read everything he writes during the playoffs, though if it's about Philly sports, viewer discretion uh, is advised. <laughs> he is David Shoemaker, I'm Brian Curtis, production magic by Erica Cervantes. David, we're back Friday to beam you into the holiday weekend by talking UFOs with Gideon Lewis Krause, who just wrote a big piece about them in The New Yorker, plus more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, bud. See you later, Brian. <laughs>